Hi, nonprofiteers. Welcome to Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, Tracy B. Allen, nonprofit strategist. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about giving you the knowledge, skills, strategies, and concepts to manage, build, and grow a nonprofit organization that will positively impact the community you serve. Ida with me, who's going to talk to us about professional development in the nonprofit sector. Ida, welcome. Hi, Tracy. I'm honored to be on your show. Thanks for having me today. Great, great. So let's get started. Um, let's talk about professional development in the nonprofit profit sector versus professional development in the corporate structure. How do you think they're similar or different? You know, Trace, that's a great question. When I started out uh, 20 years ago as a volunteer fundraiser, I, and then later became a professional person in the field, I was a corporate person. I was a financial analyst working for large corporations, and professional development in a corporate world was a given. It was, you had to attend certain trainings, whether it was, um, you know, back then it was Stephen Covey was big, or you know, <laughs> yeah. public speaking with Toastmasters, or... Yeah. Um, you know, updating your skills on the area of finance and, and analysis for the industry I was in. Those were required trainings and there was a line item budget for them. But what I've seen in the nonprofit world, uh, there isn't always a budget, or if there is, it's a very small one for professional development, which is kind of sad because often nonprofit staff at different levels have to seek out their own uh, extra development if they're not you know, funded for it. Mm -hmm. And well, thankfully, on that same note, there's a lot of great organizations like you or companies and individuals like you that do podcasts and webinars where people can learn. But if you were to ask me what piece of professional development is most needed for, I would say, the small to mid-sized nonprofit, where I see that lacking the most is an understanding of nonprofit financial management. Okay. Um, you know, you sit down with a, a small nonprofit leader and say, you know, where's your budget? And you get like a deer in headlights look back, right? right? Like, exactly. you know, what budget? Yeah. Like, you know, you need to know where your revenue comes from right. and where you spend it mm -hmm. and not be that nonprofit that's flying by the seat of their pants. Because exactly. as we know, nonprofits need to be run like a business. Yes, definitely. And it's not and that extra revenue, that extra revenue should be reinvested back into the nonprofit for their mission. So okay. See, um, that's a good um, segue. It's, it relates to professional development in the fact that it's compliance. Um, because I was reading an article the other day where there are a lot of nonprofit organizations currently um, getting their 501c3s taken away from them because someone in the nonprofit thinks that the nonprofit revenue budget is their personal bank account or their loan. Aye, ouch. <laughs> you know ouch. what I mean? So, Not um, cool. And I find this with a lot of founders because they feel like, okay, I founded this nonprofit or I own this nonprofit, like some of them like to say, um, <laughs> which we which know they don't. exactly because it's a public entity um, that they feel like, okay, I put say $8,000 into starting this up and 
now I need to get my money back. So as donations Ooh. come in or they do fundraising events and those funds come in, they're like, oh, well, my light needs to be paid this month. My kids need tuition needs to be paid, whatever it is. And they're just taking mm. the money out of the organization willy-nilly Mm-mm-mm. thinking that it's Mm-mm. okay because oh, I put money into it. So I find a mm. lot, like I said, a lot of nonprofit organizations, especially the founders, um, feel like I own this nonprofit. I hear so many of them say that. And I'm like, no, you don't. You need to stop saying that. You sound horrible saying it. Right. It's the furthest thing from the truth. It shows a lack so of true. education and it, um, right. in nonprofit um, management when you say Absolutely. I own a nonprofit. Um, and I keep telling them, like, you are going to go to jail if you don't stop dipping in your budget. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, you, you know, I don't, I, I agree. Like, like, like I, I would never dream of starting a nonprofit if I didn't have an accountant at least to oversee how I was running the book. I exactly. mean, let's be honest. Exactly. I, mean, I can't hardly run my I, own I, finances. I can't. Yeah, we're, you talk. know, exactly. I, yeah, I, exactly. Like, how could you think of starting a nonprofit without having somebody in the accounting world who understands rules and regulations that are related to financial management, mm-hmm. you know, in your corner. And you and I talked about this offline once that part of that is the makeup of your board. Yes. I mean, if you're going to start a nonprofit, uh, you need to make sure that you have professional and ethnic and all kinds of diversity on your mm-hmm, board. Mm-hmm. A lot of founders are really reluctant to do that because they're like, well, I'm giving up control. Well, the whole idea is flip that around. You're not giving up control. You're gaining skill sets. So, You're gaining ambassadors. <laughs> You're gaining people who will help you. Exactly. It's and so it's funny. so hard to flip that around. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you said, you mentioned that. Giving up control. So when right. I, yeah, when I first um, talk, like I do my 15-minute consultation with a mm-hmm. person, someone who's thinking about starting a nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. thing I, one of the first things or comp- parts of the conversation that I will have with them is, are you a control freak? Are Ooh, you someone? Good question. Yes. Because I know myself. I, um, I know that I like to be in control. <laughs> so I asked them. Same here. <laughs> right. So I asked them, are you a control freak? Are you someone who needs to control every aspect? Well, not every, you know, you're not going to micromanage, but do you need to be the end decision maker? Because if right. that's what you need to do, if that's the type of person that you are, and I, I believe that people should know themselves, if right. you are the type of person who needs to have the final decision making power, then a nonprofit organization is not for you. And some people- I would I would very much agree with that. I think mm-hmm. there's passionate founders out there. They've got the passion, they have mm-hmm. a vision, and they they bite off way more than they can chew. I'm yes. thinking of one in particular <laughs> from this event we had here in Maryland, a, a local nonprofit organization that houses. Uh, they provide co-working space. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give them a plug. They're the nonprofit village. They're a phenomenal organization here in Montgomery County, Maryland, where they have. A co-working space mm-hmm. for I think up to 30 on-site tenants and then several others that are virtual awesome. they hosted something called two years in a row now 
it's kind of like the shark tank, but it's mm-hmm. called the duck pond. Right. <laughs> yep. And I was one of the experts on the panel and about, I think it was 12 nonprofits got to fill out some paperwork and they were mm-hmm. small, you know, startups mm-hmm. and they got to present their case to us and ask us questions and feedback. And the same thing came up over and over as we experts were interviewing them and looking at their documentation and then going, do you, your business plan is incomplete or you don't have one. Right. <laughs> or they, the documentation they submitted was 12 pages about how they'd like to do not one program, but eight in a year. Oh and we're goodness. like, oh, wow. Back it. Reel it in. <laughs> reel it in. Yes, you oh can see. You, she, this, this, you know, this one lovely lady said, I want to help um, low-income mothers, you know, with, with paperwork to get, um, uh, you know, federal you know, subsidies or whatever they need. But I'd also like to find a space, brick and mortar, and run a daycare. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I am almost certain I, when you said eight different things at one time, right, right. That person that you're talking about could be someone mm-hmm. that I spoke to recently, too. It sounds so familiar. Um, you know, it's, it happens coach. everywhere. Yeah. And you're in Connecticut. Oh, no. Are you? You're in New York. I'm in Maryland. So, yeah, no, it happens everywhere. No, I'm you're in Connecticut. Connecticut sorry. I don't work yeah. with people in Connecticut. They're all other places outside Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, work with, I work with nonprofits yeah. nationwide as well. But, the, I mean, this is the thing. This is the problem. These very mm-hmm. passionate. I mean, they're good-hearted people. Yes, they, they are. Don't they, are. they don't have a business background. They mean well. well but, but they need take one class called nonprofit management 101 and those yes. are offered on the web they're offered online they're mm-hmm. offered at community colleges now you know when you and I were coming up through this business um, I don't my background is finance and international business and then I studied and took a million courses and went to a million conferences and became a CFRE I mean that's right. kind of how it works mm-hmm. now there's classes in nonprofit management I've taught classes in nonprofit marketing and communications mm-hmm. I've taught classes in nonprofit fundraising and development for the community college so they have these now and there's no excuse for the small nonprofit leadership or founder to at least seek out one course or an online course and really understand what it means to run a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. It's not, we'll do a fundraiser in January to pay the bills in February. Then we'll do a fundraiser in March to pay the bills in you know, April. No. Exactly. Please. And there are all these micro fundraisers that are not really making an, imp- um, an impact on their revenue. Absolutely. Rate. You know what I right. mean? I said, if you're going right. to go for a fundraiser, if you're going to take the time to plan it. And another thing with that fundraising, and I'm sure as a fundraising expert, one of the things that you see is that, like you said, from month to month or from quarter to quarter, they want to put a fundraising together, but they put the fundraising together a month before the, oh, gosh, the actual no. fundraising no, no, no. date. And I'm no, like, it no, takes no, no. way more time to court, no, no, no. I like to um, no. call it a romance, to court donors and Absolutely. Um, you know, sponsors than a month. You need at least a oh, six way months more. head start. At least. At least. <laughs> right. You know, and I said right. a year right. would be best, but you need at least right. a six month head start. So, yeah. And that brings us to a topic you and I talked about offline once before, which is having a development calendar. Exactly. And it's exactly. so important, you know, giving Tuesday you know, it's coming, if this, we want to keep this evergreen, but let's pretend like it's not for now. <laughs> it's October as we, as we record this and Giving Tuesday's coming and my clients are running to me going, oh my God, we're not ready for Giving Tuesday. I to help, help, help. Okay. Right. I'm going to help you calm down. We'll make it happen. We'll get the messaging right. We'll, 
you know, create a schedule of email blasts and, you know, Facebook posts. But what you really need to be ready for is your year-end giving campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's a whole other thing. And they're exactly. like, oh, my God, do we really? But a lot oh, of people it's think just, it's one and the same. They think that giving they're not. Thing no, giving not at all. Like two separate Not things. at all. They're two different things. And, yes. <laughs> and it's it, it, that whole idea of a development calendar and I would create one for myself when I was a staff person running, you know, a development department for a larger nonprofit. I would create a calendar just in a Word document. Mm -hmm. January, tasks to be accomplished. February, tasks to be accomplished. Things like email frequency, uh, newsletter, print newsletter frequency, and the timeline for that embedded in it. So you, you don't write the newsletter in a day. I mean, you started about two months out. You start collecting exactly. articles. You start collecting stories from mm -hmm. staff. You start, you know, take the photographs, whatever you want to do. And then build in that into your year-long development calendar. Right. And, you, and that's a professional start, development in itself. Teaching it them is. how to prepare for their year and not prepare from week to week or month to month. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Time management. There you go. Yes. I would say one of the things I run into most with smaller nonprofits, and I, I understand it because they're, they're, they're very, their staff is stretched very thin. Mm -hmm. Even if you're stretched very thin, you really need good time management skills. Right. You really need to say, and I tell this to my donors, my, uh, my uh, clients all the time, you know, there's got to be a day a week where you just shut your door mm -hmm. for a couple hours and you pick up that phone and you make thank you calls to donors. Yes. You yes. Build those I'm relationships. Exactly. Build those up. relationships. Like because you're having you a just like if you had a regular relationship, I said, you call your husband just because you want him to know exactly. you're thinking of him. You have to do the right. same thing with your donors. You just want exactly. to call them just because. I just right. thought about you and I wanted to let you know how much we appreciate what you have done for our organization. Stop right. reaching out to donors only when you need money. It's not a good look. So true. And mm -hmm. guess what I called, I coined this phrase a few years ago and, and others use it too. Mm -hmm. Don't treat your donors like ATM machines. Yes. Very good. That, that, and I actually, back then when I was first started out on my own, I wrote a book and I commissioned an artist to draw a little caricature of a female fundraiser mm -hmm. talking to a male donor and the male donor's body is shaped like an ATM machine. Oh wow! <laughs> and she and that and she and she say, "Hey, how you doing, so and so? Uh, we need a donation. Like, don't treat your donors like an ATM machine. Mm -hmm. And if, if anyone's interested, it's called Tag Your It Now. Raise us some money on Amazon.com. Okay, great. <laughs> a short little short little primer mm -hmm. on how to be a good, you know, well developed, you know, fundraising development person. And it just kind of is a launch pad. But mm -hmm. the whole point of it is, like you said. Fundraising is all about relationships. It's mm -hmm. the staff's relationships with the donors. It's board member relationships with donors. Mm -hmm. It's executive director's relationships with donors. Now, I, fundraising is a team sport. Yes, it is. It is. It doesn't all fall on a consultant. It does not ever all fall and on a consultant I don't know or how staff. you feel about it because I did a Facebook Live about this um, maybe about a month ago, and I got some, you know, People are angry keyboard bullies. Um, I like to call them little keyboard. Really? Yeah. Because sometimes you say things that people just don't agree with or they don't want to hear it because it applies to them. So one of the things that I said, um, oh, I lost my train of thought right now. 
um, in your Facebook Live, somebody was a keyboard bully. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, I do this all well, the time. What did you say before that? You, you were talking about... I said that they're relationships. They're all about relationships. That, that, yes. that the relationships they're... need to be board member relationships, you know, staff relationships, and, you know, uh, you know, even right. volunteers relationships. Right. So I was talking about building those relationships and, oh, yes, I remember you said about the consultant. Um, yes. So I said that it's not the consultant's job and should never be, okay, so I was talking from a grant writing perspective. Um, mm-hmm. So I was saying as a grant writer and a nonprofit consultant, if I come into your organization to write or you, you hire me to be a grant writer, um, I am coming in to write a grant for you, right? I'm not coming in to build relationships for you. If I come in mm-hmm. as a consultant, I can find you donors or um, founders that are um, funders that are applicable to your organization, but actually right. building the relationship with the people in these at the foundation level should be done by a staff member, not by Absolutely. the consultant. And that's what they got mean the consultant, before. yeah, the consultant no, facilitated. Yes, well, yeah, they should get it. It. they shouldn't get upset <laughs> with you because I have a very yes. good friend here who's a grant writer and she's like, you know, I'm happy to go with you to a meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I'll write exactly. the grant and then you need to continue the relationship exactly. beyond. Exactly. And then, you know, because if you want I to stay in touch with them. Organization. I exactly. don't right. organization. Right. I am mm-hmm. here for a specific, a specific period of time. After I'm right. gone, your organization is still going to be there. So your board members, your executive director, your program directors, those are the people who need or communications um, director, whoever in your organization, who's vested in your organization, they should be building, nurturing those relationships. You should have control of your Rolodex, not the consultant. Absolutely. And I actually did a blog post on this called the myth of the fundraising. Um, what did I call it? The myth of the fundraising rainmaker. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of nonprofits think, you know, I can hire a fundraising consultant. And they're going to come in with their Rolodex. Yes. And they're going to just rain money all over the nonprofit. <laughs> it does not work that way. No, it does not it does work that way. And it's also a violation of, of different ethics codes and fundraising. And that's no, one, that's not that's to one say, of the things I said. I said, you know, right. how is it, how do you think that if you are a nonprofit organization that deals with d- domestic violence, and I'm a consultant, so you're not my only client. <laughs> you right. know, I have other right. clients. So how right. do you think that I am going to introduce you and form a relationship with a foundation for you and still form that same relationship with another, fo- with the same foundation for another nonprofit who has a yeah, similar that's an issue. mission. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. That's a right. conflict of interest. I can't do that. Right, right, right. And the bigger, the bigger picture for me is, um, you know, I, I don't belong to country clubs. <laughs> I, I don't have million dollar friends. Right. And for you to realistically think that I've got some sort of magic Rolodex that's going to bring you money. It, it's, it's just ludicrous. There are, there is a profession out there and I don't want to slam them in any way called yeah. fundraising solicitors. Yes. And there, there are solicitors. And I say, go on because the state of Maryland has a website mm-hmm. and most states do. And I'm listed as a licensed fundraising counsel, mm-hmm. which means I teach you how to go get the money. 
I teach you and your board how to be effective. I teach your staff how to message properly, how to communicate with donors. Heck, I'll even write your letters for you. You know, I'll punch up your annual report, Uh all that good stuff. But then I say, if that's not what you want, go on the State of Maryland website. You can find licensed solicitors. Mm-hmm. Have a nice day. That's just not what I do. Exactly. No, I'm not. Again, I'm not slamming solicitors. They're, they're, no. They they do their jobs. But again, you have to realize. I mean, I worry for the small nonprofit that doesn't have, you know, ample deep pockets mm-hmm. that they might end up paying for services that don't um, come back to them in the long run. Mm-hmm. There's no. So what I do is what I do when I work with boards is I give them the training, the tools, the elevator speech. Uh, the messaging, they need to go out in the community and to raise funds. And I break it down into very bite-sized pieces. And I say to them at the end of the meeting or the, or the retreat training, you know, I'm giving you two months as a board to raise $10,000 because now I've taught you how to go get the money. Right. And most of the time, I will tell you, I'm very blessed. The, the people I work with, the board members usually start out shy, mm-hmm. but by the time I'm done with them in training, they're like, hmm, this isn't so difficult. Right. I have one board. I challenged them to raise twenty thousand dollars, like in two months. Contacted them three months later, they'd raise thirty-five thousand dollars. I mean, it can be done. And it's not. It's not. You know, I don't want to say it's not rocket science, but it's training. It's training and being comfortable in your own skin. It's understanding that hearing the word no isn't fatal. <laughs> you know, you're going to be doing a lot of asking. You might get more no's than yeses, and that's okay. Right. Exactly. exactly. And, you know, if you've got the passion and you're on the board of a nonprofit, you're there for a reason because you feel passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Let that passion speak for you and watch it rain. Right. That's what I say. Don't, make, don't tell me I'm going to make it rain because you're the one that's going to make it rain. <laughs> So um, we talked about budgeting being one yes. of the top um, professional developments that you think a nonprofit should have. What are yes. the others that you think that they should have? Like, um, Yeah, we said uh, budgeting, financial management, mm-hmm. um, management skills in general Okay, is something I find. Leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Leadership skills. Good. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Leadership skills, management skills. Mm-hmm. Um, what else off the top of my head? What about basic compliance? marketing? Oh, compliance, definitely. And if you don't have a great, you know, CPA firm in your corner mm-hmm. that can help you with that, definitely learn about. And, you know, by the way, you know this and I know this. Every state has different rules. There's yes. federal rules. There's state rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you really have to go onto your state's website for, in Maryland, I think it's called the charitable division. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is in your state. And look at the regulations there and look at the rules and the paperwork and make sure you are compliant. Right. Especially like when it becomes fundraising. Um, A lot of people Mm -hmm. don't realize that with the um, insertion of um, social media, that they could be breaking some uh, fundraising laws because they're not registered in certain states. And um, I've had kickback on that too. They're like, that's crazy. People have told me that's crazy. So you're, expecting me to register in 40 states i'm like yeah that's the kind of like the law <laughs> you know because if you are soliciting online and you could be getting funds from anybody everywhere mm. um you know you that's may, a really good question yes that's a really I've good point people need to it. and um, i see basically you should be registered 
yes, <laughs> you know, so. You know, um, there's, there are organizations, and there's one here in Maryland mm-hmm. um, I know of that will accomplish for not a huge amount of money, really, mm-hmm. your uh, nationwide registration with every state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Charitable, yeah, there's companies that will do that for mm-hmm. you. So yep. I'm all about uh, delegating. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. have to do this, what I call a cost-benefit analysis, of right? Of course. So is it worth five hours of my time as a nonprofit, let's say, founder to go on the internet and spend five hours because I'm trying to save some money yes. and do this all myself? Or do I pay a company a few hundred dollars to just take care of it? And I love that. I love the fact that you just said that because that's something that right. I tell organizations right. all the time when they right. um, argue about what I charge. And I'm like, I'm not, what I charge is what I charge. You're paying me for my time and you're paying me most of all for my knowledge. Granted, of you can course. Google it. Um, you can read a book about it. But at the end of the day, when you have finished reading it and you have finished Googling it, you still have to implement it. And right. that's only if you understood it because that's a right. whole other component to it. Did you understand right. it enough to implement it? How much, right. how, so if you wanted to start a nonprofit, you've never started a nonprofit before to do all the reading and the research and everything could take you a year to truly oh, easily. get a true understanding of it versus right. paying someone and they can get right. it done for you in like three weeks. Right. <laughs> right. And yeah, there's always that IRS backlog of um, uh, how quickly they turn around 501c3 yes. mm-hmm. you know, acceptances. I think and they need to be a think, little bit more discerning right now because. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Because the worldwide event is mm-hmm. taking a little bit longer. And, you know, that, that whole window of time can be anywhere from three months to nine months mm-hmm. for them to come back to you and say that your application is complete or incomplete. Right. And a lot of Funders, uh, founders, I mean, don't realize that that's a process. Mm-hmm. And um, we also talked about you and I earlier about that uh, starting a nonprofit doesn't mean, you know, just throwing down some names on a piece of paper to be your board of directors just exactly. to have them there, like warm bodies, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll just put my mom and my neighbor and I'll, you know, no, you really need to think through who you want on your board. And that's where the idea of that board matrix comes in and having you know, ethnic and professional and age diversity and all types of diversity. Because when I'm sitting down, if I were the founder of a nonprofit, and a lot of founders, let's, let's face it, you know, I'm a control freak, they're control freaks too. Uh-huh. Founders of nonprofits, you know, sometimes just want a bunch of people in the room, they're going to nod yes. Yes. But, <laughs> but, spin, but spin that around for a minute. If you're making major decisions to your nonprofit and you, you're, you're convinced you're right, I would love somebody to play devil's advocate Mm -hmm. so I know that I'm right. And if I'm not right, tell me why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me why. You know, if I have an idea and somebody on my board, you know, is an attorney and they say, well, you might want to hang on to that idea for a while. I don't think we're there yet. As a founder, I'd want to be open to that information. So some founders look at a board as, oh, my God, I'm giving up control if I have other people on the board. No, look at it as they're going to help you take this to the next level because you've got extra expertise. That's free. Mm-hmm. Free expertise. You know, this is, this is the best thing ever. You know, if you're not sure how to market your fundraising event and you have a board member that's a marketing professional, you're, you've got it made. They're right. going to help you. Right. So they're going to help you. It's a common problem. Right. Sometimes um, 
I, what I see that can happen is that if you have someone who's a lawyer or a, um, accountant on your board, sometimes you tend to want to overuse that person. They cannot be your accountant or your lawyer. There you that's go. A, we we don't, we don't burn out. Our, yeah. Right. No, no we don't, we don't burn out our board members. They we don't burn like them out. We don't the create conflicts of interest. No. That's what they should exactly. be first and last. Right. But there should be right. a I like person that. in between who's actually the organization's lawyer or the organization's accountant. But they should I love how you put that. Out. First look, last look. Mm-hmm. That is a great way to put it. You yeah. rely on your board members for input, but remember you need outside professionals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is just so true. And um, you know, over and over we see very well meaning kind-hearted yes. big idea founders you know they're they're taking out second mortgages on their home mm-hmm. which is ridiculous and, you know i i just a big lump in my throat when i talk to them like uh, no right <laughs> <laughs> oh but they're so convinced that this is gonna work that they just they, they they bought into their own kool-aid and well let's talk about like, how, how it can work Let's yeah. Let's talk about that. (laughs) So, one of the things that I um talk about a lot is that pre work. That's what I like. Yeah, the pre work. So before you even start filling out any paperwork, before you start looking at a board, well, this can probably go into the pre work as well. But one of the things I think that people who are trying to start a nonprofit organization need to do is to start networking, strong networking, start talking about what you want to do and how you want to do it. Start making connections to people who can become potential donors, community partners, and volunteers before you start your paperwork. To me, that will give you a better sense of how it will be received within the community. So do yep. all that. I have something to add to that. Yep. Reaching out to people great. within, yep. yeah, reach, reaching out with to people within that specific community. See what they want, what they need, and how best to deliver it to them. Because I keep talking about that big idea. So we are very, um, as, as people, we're self-centered in a way. You know what I mean? So we have our own thoughts and ideas, and this euphoric sense of how um, we're going to do something. And we're not thinking about the people outside of it, the people who are receiving mm-hmm. it, we're thinking about how it looks to us, mm-hmm. how we mm-hmm. want it to be, how best it's going to be for us, and not how mm-hmm. the person actually using the product is going to interact with it. So this is why you need to talk to the people who you are going to be serving to see exactly mm-hmm. what their needs are. Do a survey. Survey maybe say exactly. In the community, right. what, are, what, is, what is your um, pain point and how right. can I serve that pain point to make it accessible and usable for you? You know, Tracy, you hit the nail on the head. I'm going to rewind back to that duck pond conversation we had mm-hmm. earlier where these nonprofits, wonderful meaning nonprofits came up and presented. One of the first questions we asked them was, did you scan the marketplace and do any benchmarking to see if somebody else isn't already doing what you're trying right. to do? Yep. <laughs> and, and many times they said, um, no, like, okay, so let's pretend for a moment, Tracy and I don't want to open a domestic violence shelter for women, which is a wonderful thing to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably always needed everywhere. But if the town we both live in 
already has six of them and they've got empty beds. Then you don't need it. Then we don't need to be doing that. So and you that, can go that, and volunteer your services there, start a program right, with one of these right, people instead right. of starting another nonprofit organization. You don't need to start another nonprofit. Right. You're diluting the funding pool. Right. You're diluting the funding pool. Second, it's just, it's like saying, there's three supermarkets on my street. I'm going to open a fourth supermarket. Exactly. No. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. supermarkets don't do that. No. The drugstores don't do that. Mm-mm. You know, think about it. And they don't. They've got, but, but I know there's a need out there. How do you know? And that comes back to what you said, Tracy, is did you survey your audience? Did right. you talk to others in the field and see if there's any additional needs? But mm-hmm. over and over during that duck pond, we were saying, have you looked around this county to see who else is doing it? Are you filling a niche that they can't fill? Right. Are you doing something differently, for example, or are you complementing other services? So it, it all comes back to, like you said, how did you put it, uh, taking a year mm-hmm. to prep yourself before you actually, you know, flip the switch and start a nonprofit? Yeah. That's research skills. Right. And speaking to so a there's professional. There's another professional taking, development. Right. Right. Taking the right. time to, to get a nonprofit professional in there. And talk there to them go. and let them help you through the process. You don't know it all. You know, you probably right. don't know anything at all besides mm-hmm. that. You have a mission that you want to accomplish. But I, I did a, um, a blog post on six alternatives. I think it was six alternatives to starting a nonprofit organization. You don't have to start one. And people say, that's crazy. Why would you say that as a a consultant? Because I'm not in the business of being a consultant just for money. I'm in the business of being a consultant because I like to help people. And I don't like to see people fail. And I'm not going to encourage people to start something that I know is not, or possibly, I shouldn't say no, because I don't have a crystal ball, but that would possibly not work because like you said, they're diluting the pool. If there's six other nonprofits, I mean, domestic violence shelters in my neighborhood and they have empty beds, why am I going to start a seventh? Right. It doesn't That's the whole sense. idea is, is that, that, that really passionate founder sometimes has these blinders on mm-hmm. and they need someone like you or me or even, you know, um, somebody else in the industry who at least is in that uh, sphere of influence, whether it's domestic violence or whatever, to sit them down and say, here's what the needs are. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, coaching from a professional consultant that's going to walk them through well, let's sit down right now together and do a Google search. Let's, right. let's actually research this right now. You know, a couple hours of my time coaching you is going to save you thousands of dollars in loss and worry and um, sadness because what you wanted to start didn't take off the way you wanted. Right. That's the because way no matter what you're doing, whether it's starting a nonprofit organization or starting a, pro- a for-profit um, organization, for-profit business, you need systems and processes in place. Nothing can survive systems and processes. And it takes you forever because I know when I started my consulting business, um, it took me a long time because I'm a systems and processes type of person. Like I Mm -hmm. need forms for everything. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and it took a long time to create them. I mean, I have other people, um, 
in our group, like, you know, oh, they don't have a, a form for it. Oh, I have a form for it. You know, I can share right. because that's just what I'm a systems and processes type of person. I need to know what's going on when it's going on. And that's, right. stuff, you know what I mean? So um, right. that's one thing that you need to make sure that you have as a nonprofit um, uh, founder or leader is systems and processes. And this is where professional developments can come in and help you out. You know, you cannot be totally. um, cheap with professional developments. Just like if you were a teacher, we have to have a certain amount of professional developments per year. If you are a doctor, you have to do a certain amount of professional developments for, per year. Absolutely. You professional developments for your, your um, leadership staff, which includes mm-hmm. your ED, your um, program director, communications director, board board members. You also need right. professional development for your volunteers. You cannot forget sure. about them. You know, they're there right. doing you a, I don't like to say free service because volunteerism is not free. Um, mm-hmm. At least that's how I look at it. It's not free because you really should have a volunteer coordinator. So you're paying somebody to oversee the volunteers. So it's not really free. Um, And you should have um, workman's compensation for your volunteers as well. At least I, Mm. uh, yeah, I always tell, because if something happens to your volunteer Mm. on, even though it's the Good Samaritan law, people, we live Mm -hmm. in a litigious society. We live in a litigious mm-hmm. society, get workman's compensation, right. paying that extra, maybe say hundred dollars per month right. can save you a lot of heart. Yeah, I'm definitely not an expert in that, but I mean, a lot of nonprofits avoid either workman's comp insurance or general liability insurance, which mm-hmm. is a big mistake. And I'll leave oh, that to the yes, insurance expert. Yeah, everybody yes. needs I that. I just put up a post everybody yesterday about, I think it was six different insurances that you need to have as a nonprofit organization. And workman's comp wow. was there. Wow. Workman's comp was there. Six, wow. like six or seven. And if you work with children, that's number eight. Oh, that's another one, right? Yes. Sure, sure. Actually, sure. there are two other insurances you need to have if you're working with children. Because, you know, something, somebody slips well, the Well, there's a reason. That, that's yeah. a reason right there. <laughs> Anybody professional development. You need to. Right. Professional right. development is so pivotal to the success of a nonprofit organization. I mean, we could right. sum this whole thing up in that one statement. It's pivotal to your success. It is pivotal. <laughs> especially, yeah. and I'll come back to, because the staff that I work with the most is EDs, boards, and fundraising staff. And mm-hmm. I will tell you that, you know, There's certain things, especially in fundraising, that don't change from year to year, and there's just best practices in working with donors. Mm -hmm. But there's always great case studies and new ideas and, and, you know, the whole idea of generational changes. Like, there's now all kinds of data on millennials. There's all kinds of data on, you know, uh, baby boomers. Mm -hmm. That these are things that, especially the fundraising, marketing, and communications staff need professional development on pretty much on an annual basis. I mean, you really need to be getting to conferences and seminars where experts are speaking on these topics. I do it. How do so I that's keep... one of my questions to you. Is I do, do it. I have to. Yeah. Where do you think these should occur? Should it happen at the base camp of the nonprofit organization? Should it happen mm-hmm. outside? Or do you think they need mm-hmm. a good combination of both? Well, I think it, it works two ways, Tracy. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's, you know, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, the Direct Marketing Association. There's all types of right. organizations that host 
conferences and seminars and even webinars online, but around the country, and there's some top-notch ones, and you, know, you can Google and find them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the general knowledge that the pool of general knowledge out there annually that I like to tap into. I attend you know, one, one, two, maybe three conferences a year just to soak up like a sponge. What's new, great, and exciting? Right. You know, what's, what's something, what's something that I what's, – what, what's a little – right, forever learning. What's a little nugget that I can take and latch onto and, and use that to help my clients? Right. But then again, I would say there's the customized professional development, wouldn't you agree? Yes. Where an organization leader could sit down with you and say, you know, our staff is or our board is lacking in knowledge about A, B, C, or exactly. D. Exactly, exactly. And then we put together what they need in sort of either a retreat format mm-hmm. or one-on-one coaching format or small group coaching. Mm-hmm. And um, I think both are essential to any nonprofit. If I really Great. believe that. So you kind of segued into my next question. What are your thoughts on retreats? Effective, not effective, too expensive? What do you think? You know, And how often should they happen? Right. If, are you talking about staff retreats or board retreats? Let's talk about that for a minute. They're a little different. <laughs> um, let's talk maybe about both. both. Let's talk about both. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Um, I think a, either either of those, are only going to be effective if there's well-planned out objectives and outcomes in advance and a very well-written agenda. So that, so either of those has to have both. Okay. So either of, the, either of these has to have all of that. They have to have a, a well-thought-out, why are we doing this? What are the objectives? What are the outcomes we're trying to reach? And what is the agenda for the day or the six-hour retreat? So the, my answer is yes, they're good things. If okay. they're planned and done properly. Okay. So I would say annual, mm-hmm. especially on the board level, it's a great opportunity to review the strategic plan of the organization as yes, a group. it is. And go through it and say, what, what areas have we accomplished and what have we not accomplished? And are we going to modify the strategic plan, whether right. it's a three-year plan, five-year plan, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that's one good reason. One of the other retreats that I helped facilitate for a client was beyond the strategic plan. It was kind of, it was a smaller nonprofit. They just needed thinking through their next year, month by month, what tasks need to be accomplished on the program side, Mm -hmm. what need to be accomplished on the fundraising side. So that's another way to do it. Again, it's all based on what, what, what's the outcome. You know, let's, let's think about what the outcome needs to be. Um, Another retreat I, participated in for example I was a three-hour trainer in a nine-hour retreat so I wasn't in the rest of the retreat I only had a three-hour chunk of that mm-hmm. my role was board fundraising training okay. so they built that into their retreat for me to come in and, and you know help them get over being shy about asking for money and I so think that's that, one that all nonprofit organizations need to have is yeah, board a lot of them fundraising do. development right. because I think I could safely say, um, you can tell me if I'm wrong, maybe about 90% of beginning or startup nonprofits to mid-level nonprofits, that is one of the major issues I've heard them complain about. Uh, It is. does not want to fundraise. Right, Mm -hmm. right. I actually posted a blog on this too, and it's it's called, What Can You Get Them to Do Instead in the Meantime? There's things you can get them to do if they're not going to ask for money, but eventually you need to get them to where they're, 
I call it ambassadors for your organization Mm -hmm. and people who are involved in resource acquisition. Right. Your board members should be involved in resource acquisition to move the nonprofit forward. Okay. Flipping to the staff side, flipping to the staff side real briefly, Mm -hmm. um, I think a staff retreat or a staff team building day Mm -hmm. is such a great morale booster because nobody, nobody works at a nonprofit for the glorious salary. (laughs) <laughs> nobody works there because the hours are cushy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all wearing multiple hats, whether they're program directors or uh, ground level staff or nurses or whoever. And I've seen some of my clients, I wasn't part of their staff retreats, but they'll post them on Facebook and they're all wearing, you know, t-shirts that look the same and they've had this big picnic and everybody's got a big smile on their face. And it's like, you know, corporations do that. They have right. a company picnic. Exactly. You might not call it a retreat, but, you know, some way to recognize the staff. Um, if you feel the need, you know, maybe at the mid to upper management level to do a staff retreat where they actually talk about program goals and, and accomplishments and, and motivations for the year ahead. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, it all comes down to what are your objectives, what are your outcomes, having a retreat for a retreat's sake where everybody's falling asleep. <laughs> and they want it to be over and they right. want to go home is not the way to do it. It has to be high energy. It has to be interesting. It has to be useful and it has to have action items. So okay. that's a right. long answer for you. I'm sorry, but that's, a long that's fine. Um, I wanted to make the point that one of the things I um, always recommend to combat um, having to have so many professional developments with your board to get them to be comfortable with fundraising is that right. when you initially recruit your board, you should have a mm-hmm. clear, a very, very clear and precise job description. Mm-hmm. A job, even though they're volunteering, it is a job. And one Absolutely. of the key topics that should be addressed in that initial meeting is fundraising. I think if it mm-hmm. is put on the table initially and talked about openly there would not be so much apprehension when I agree with you I agree with you and here's what I I boil this down to if you've got a new board and a new nonprofit come up with a set of board policies right those policies can include the following gift giving policy Mm -hmm. on behalf of board members right because they Um, should be um they should have a have a minimum gift yes sure and a minimum gift it could be a give or a get as we call it Mm-hmm. It could be also other policies are, believe it or not, there should be an attendance policy. Yes. So if your yes. board has six meetings a year, you should be required to attend four out of the six mm-hmm. or whatever the group agrees upon. Mm-hmm. There's also other policies taking you a little bit off topic. I was thinking about this morning, gift receiving policy. So mm-hmm. let's say there's a millionaire who, um, the only example I could find this bizarre. Let's say you, you operate a nonprofit for children, but there's a gentleman out there who is extremely wealthy. He'd like to give you a million dollars, but his business is not child friendly. It's actually child detrimental. Let's oh, think no. I'm not going to give examples, yeah, but think yes. of like, you know, mm-hmm. really, really bad things yes. out there on the internet. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could have a gift acceptance and refusal policy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not and required to take be, a million. Um, right. All this should be out, um, outlined in your bylaws as well. And the bylaws or addendums to bylaws yes. or mm-hmm. a, board, a board policy manual yes. that's been mm-hmm. voted upon. Mm-hmm. Um, I help clients create those board policy manuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 
sports source, as you know, is a great yes. source of information for that as well. Uh-huh. Um, so I think you're so right. And I actually left a, a phone message today for a colleague because I know she's on the board of a, of a brand new nonprofit. And I said, you know, I'd love to talk to you for a few minutes on the importance of board policies. Yes. And let's just have a few minute conversation. And I'm just going to give her some ideas and whether she, you know, she right, ends she up retaining me doesn't not. matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't care. I want her to know, like you said, we want to make sure people do this right. That's, that's our first, that's my first ethical commitment to my position as a, you know, my consultancy is to make sure that it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. And if they, whether they end up working with me or somebody else, that's fine. But if you're starting a nonprofit and you don't have board policies in place, when you start recruiting new people or you suddenly spring upon them, oh, you're on the sport, you've been on the sport for six months, now we expect you to give $500 a year and they give you a look like, are you kidding me? Right. Well, that's because they weren't told upfront. Upfront, exactly, exactly. So, it should be done up front. Right. So let's try and wrap this up. And sure. we're going to... Oh, we could talk all day, couldn't I we? I know, we can. We really, really <laughs> can because this is... We have to do another one together. So we I will should. definitely be have you back to. and we can discuss some other topics. Um, you're welcome back here anytime because I really you. enjoy this. Um, and I think that um, my audience will learn a lot from this conversation. Well, I can't wait to share it with my audience. Too. <laughs> yes. This is going to be great. Exactly. Um, so when it comes to cost, cause I know everyone is listening to us and they're going, uh-huh. Okay. They're talking about all of this great professional development, but what does the cost look like for our organization? Cause we know that revenue and is a big thing within especially smaller nonprofit organizations to mid nonprofit mm-hmm. organizations. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones mm-hmm. who, need it the most not that larger mm-hmm. corporation or organizations don't need nonprofit um development i mean professional development they know they need it they've already budget budgeted for it so we're not really talking about the big ones because they know mm-hmm. the importance they you know like i said they've already budgeted for their professional right development. and like i tell people sometimes you know if you don't believe how important it is to have professional development go look at like susan g coleman's um their 990s and you'll see how much money they spend every year on professional development look right. at the red cross i said it's there right. there's a line for it you can see the amount of money professional right. development is a valuable asset for your organization so what kind of figure Absolutely. based on what we've talked about and the key um uh, trainings that they may need and maybe some other, like the top three and maybe two or three others that they would need to have on a yearly basis. What type of budget would you tell them that they need to have? You know, I, you know, I, I would say it would have to be based on their budget. In other words, is it less than 1% of their whole budget? Is it going to be, it's so arbitrary, Tracy, so hard to say, Mm -hmm. but if nothing else, I think um, EDs and program level staff and definitely development staff should be given a budget to attend one major conference a year, including travel and hotel. Okay. One major, maybe maybe multi-day conference, let's say, where they're going to get training, where they're going to get networking with peers. That that could range. I mean, it depends on where you are in the country. It could be anywhere from, you know, $500 to $1,000. Right. whether it's you know, individual coaching type um, uh, development, um, again, it, it depends on the nonprofit's budget. 
but whether it's, you know, conferences or individualized, personalized, you know, training and coaching, it needs to be there. And it needs to be there based on the dollar amount should be realistic to the organization. So if the organization's annual budget is a million dollars, they're not going to spend $10,000 on professional development. Let's be honest. I mean, Mm -hmm. they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be their, their accountants maybe, or that's going to be their, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, 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 it needs to be thought through carefully. It needs to be something that, um, the leadership can agree upon is necessary, first of all. And then what you and I and other colleagues like us like to do is sit down with the client and say, what is it that you feel your needs are? And what do you think your budget is? And let's work within that. Right. So what we can do is say, you've got 10 needs and you've got this much budget. Well, guess what? Tracy and or Ida, you know, we, we can help you with these top three for now based mm-hmm. on your budget. And then when your budget year rolls around or six months later, you have a little extra, you know, income and you can keep it going, then let us know. I mean, exactly. We're not, how do I explain this? Fundraising and, and, and professional development and nonprofit management consultants, we, we want to work with you. We want to work within your budget. We want to work within your needs. You know, I, I could come up with, a laundry list of a hundred items that every nonprofit should have, but I realistically know that they can't afford them. And let's be realistic. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's get down to what your priorities are. What's your first priority, second priority, third priority, where are you struggling the most? And let's take it from there. Okay. That's a great way to wrap this up. What are you struggling with the most and sitting down with the um, consultant and having them, prepare something that is specific to your needs. Okay. That's Absolutely. Great. Um, Ida, why don't you tell my um, audience where they can find you? Oh, thank you, Tracy. Well, my name is spelled a little differently. It's uh, A as an apple, Y as in yes, D as in dog, A as an apple, but it's pronounced Ida. And my last name, which is also, this is all on my website, Ida Sandberg. Last name is S as in Sam, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, B as in Victor, E as in Egg, R as in Red, dot com. So idasandberg.com. I have a Facebook page that says Ida Sandberg Consulting. I'd love you to, to, uh, to go there and, and like it and follow my posts. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Again, my first and last name. Uh, my Twitter handle is my first name, A-Y-D-A, Ida, S is in Sam, C is in consultant, and at Ida S-C, love for you to reach out to me on Twitter, follow me there, and um, I can't think of anything else, there's a bunch of ways to reach me, but, um, or you've got Tracy's website, she knows where to find me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'll definitely you put got your the po- information. You've got the podcast link and yeah. Yes, exactly. Ad, so. I'll put your information. I, I, do, I, do offer, uh, I do offer 30 minute telephone consults to established nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I have a very small inexpensive fee-based package for people thinking about starting a nonprofit. And I have other service packages with some pricing on my website. Okay. Don't afraid to browse the website. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again for being here. And I thank really you for having it. me, Tracy. This You're was welcome. like too much fun. <laughs> and I hope I am so I happy. Hope you can be a guest again. I hope to. I hope so too. I'd mm-hmm. love to do it anytime you'll have me. Okay. Great. Take care.
Okay, non-profiteers, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that there's someone in your community counting on the services that your nonprofit organization offers, and it is your job to make sure that you get it right. Until next time, I'm Tracy V. Allen.